Did you know that a sandwich is legally defined as two or more pieces of bread or a split roll having a filling in between? Which means that scientifically, legally, a hot dog is a sandwich. Uh, Did you also know that in November of 2015, the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, which is totally a real thing, released an official statement declaring that a hot dog is not, in fact, a sandwich. Just the simple question, is a hot dog a sandwich, sparks debate around the world. And the debate rages on. It's just one of the many endless debates that we have. Um, Does the person in the middle seat on a plane get both armrests? Ask a Star Wars fan. Did Han Solo shoot first? There's the classic. Would you rather fight ten duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Despite what you may think, there's only one correct answer, and it is the horse-sized duck duck. I saw this week that someone posted on Twitter a question of if a French baguette could move, how would it? He then posted four animated representations of how a baguette might locomote. As ridiculous as that sounds, over 250,000 people weighed in with their opinions. Now, all of those debates, they are silly and they are frivolous. But what happens when the debates go beyond that? Gun control, politics, health care, the validity of various economic systems, how society should react to a global pandemic. Do we wear masks? Should churches open? Should schools open? We often hear that society has never been more divided than it is right now. The reality is we are not the first generation to allow ourselves to be divided by endless polemic debate. We are not the first generation of believers that have allowed the church to be divided in the same way. All the way back to the Bible, the scriptures are chock full of examples of this. Paul warns time and time again. And in his final letter, 2 Timothy, Paul warns his dear friend and apprentice Timothy about the dangers of debates exactly like this. Now, we're going to look at a lot in the second chapter of 2 Timothy, but I'm going to read just the final five verses. If you have your scripture with you, I would love for you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. Paul writes, Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, 
love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know they breed quarrels. Quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to knowledge, to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So remember, 2 Timothy, we've been walking through for three or four weeks now. This is more than likely Paul's final letter. He has written this letter as he sits in a hole in the ground in chains awaiting to be executed. He is writing this letter to his dear friend, his protege, his apprentice, Timothy. Paul, as he begins the letter, he, he encourages Timothy to, to fan the flames of his faith. He's reminded Timothy of his heritage, of his calling, of the empowerment and love and discernment and self-control that comes along with the Holy Spirit. He's pointed Timothy back to the gospel, encouraged him to hold on to the truth of that gospel, finding his strength in, in God and not in himself. And to remember everything that he's learned so that he can teach others. And then here in the second chapter, Paul gives Timothy some super practical advice. Paul says, Timothy, don't get sidetracked by arguments that just don't matter. You see, Paul recognized in the place that Timothy was serving, it was so important to maintain unity. And he didn't want Timothy dying on the wrong hill. A hill worth dying on. That is a, that's a phrase that kind of came into popular use in the 70s and 80s. It stemmed from criticism of various tactics that were used in the Vietnam War, particularly in a battle known as Hamburger Hill. Now, Hamburger Hill occurred over the course of 10 days in May of 1969. The focus of the battle was the American determination to take this heavily fortified enemy position known on the maps as Hill 937. After more than a week of intense and brutal close combat in which more than a thousand soldiers were killed or wounded, the U.S. forces finally took the hill. Now on June 5th, 1969, a mere 15 days after the fighting was over, Hill 937 was abandoned by American forces. Because, and I quote, it had no military value whatsoever. When asked about the reasoning of Hamburger Hill, Major General Melvin Zeiss said, we found the enemy on Hill 937 and that's where we fought him. Period. It is battles like that that lead us to the question, is this a hill worth dying on? Those lives lost on both sides of the war. 
Were they worth this location that had no value whatsoever? You see, Paul, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus. He's leading God's people in this place that, God, that, that Paul had planted a church. Paul knew how difficult a place Ephesus was. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Ephesus, that was the place where I fought wild beasts. And he was not referring to actual wild beasts. He was referring to the stubbornness of the people that he was dealing with in Ephesus. As Paul's writing this, his final letter, he knows the context in which Timothy is serving. And also keep in mind, don't don't think of Timothy as some sort of mega church pastor with, with a staff and a budget and tons of support. More than likely, there were 20 or 30 believers there in Ephesus. Timothy, for all intent and purposes, was a small group leader. Leading a group of believers in a city where there weren't many. And if you've been in a small group for any length of time, first of all, you know the intimacy, the community, the support that comes out of that. But you may have also seen that that level of intimacy is fertile ground for arguments and for hurt feelings. Paul writes to Timothy and says, I know where you are. I know the battles that you're facing. Choose them wisely. Don't sacrifice yourself or the unity of the body of Christ on a hill that just doesn't matter. See, Paul was intimately aware of how these petty arguments can divide the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, Romans 14, Philippians 2. Paul writes about it time and time again in in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 5. As the Galatians are, are fighting about various doctrinal issues, Paul reminds them, first of all, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in chapter 5, verse 15, Paul goes on to warn the Galatians and he says... If you continue to fight one another, if you continue to bite and devour one another, eventually you will be consumed by one another. Leave your petty arguments behind for the sake of unity. Yet at the same time, as Paul warned Timothy against um, these, these kind of pointless and frivolous debates, Paul also understood the incredible dangers of false doctrines and false teachings. He knew how these false doctrines can destroy the church. Paul includes a warning against false doctrines and false teachings in basically every letter he wrote. His pastoral letters, the letters he wrote to Timothy and to Titus, place a great emphasis on confronting false teachers and false doctrines. In this very passage, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul points out two guys that were teaching a false doctrine. They were teaching that the resurrection was spiritual and not physical. Essentially teaching that the gospel, teaching a false gospel that was hopeless. And Paul recognized there in verse 17 
that this type of false doctrine, this type of false gospel must be confronted because it can spread like a sickness throughout the body of Christ. But even then, Paul's pursuit in confronting this false gospel was not to prove himself right. He says, Timothy, confront your opponents with gentleness. Not only so you prove them wrong and yourself right, but do it so that you can point them back to the truth, so you can point them back to their Savior. So, Paul warns Timothy, be wary of frivolous and pointless debate because it can divide the church. But at the same time, be wary of false teachers and false doctrine because that can destroy the church. The question is, how do we know? How do we know which debates are worth fighting? Which hills are worth dying on? Throughout Paul's letter, Paul's letters, Paul gives us a lot of different tangible advice on that. He tells the Thessalonians, you know, step one, test everything against the scriptures. In this passage, Paul gives Timothy some incredibly practical advice. Go back to the beginning of of this particular passage that we're reading right now in verse 14. As Paul begins talking to Timothy about these things, the first thing he says is, remind them of these things. Paul's pointing Timothy back to everything he's written so far. Paul's reminding Timothy that, that he should encourage those, those people in his church, those people in his small group, those people in Ephesus to, to flan, fan the flames of their faith. To remind them of the power of the Holy Spirit. Implore them to hold on to the true gospel, to what they have learned so that they can teach others. And then in chapter 2, verse 8, Paul in the way only he can, sums it all up when he writes, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David. Now it's interesting. You would think Jesus Christ is the last thing a preacher would need to be reminded of. Multiple times in these first couple of chapters, Paul points Timothy back to the gospel and then succinctly says, remember Jesus Christ, pointing Timothy back to the centrality of Christ himself. And he does so in a very specific way. Remember Jesus Christ descended from David. Remember Jesus Christ who was 100% man. Remember Jesus Christ, who was born of a woman, has a lineage, has ancestors, has ties to the human race, has facial features and physical distinctions that made him look like those people he came from. Remember Jesus Christ, who possessed true humanity, 100% man. He was not God wearing some sort of man costume. Remember Jesus Christ, who was as human as you and I. Who felt hunger and had to wipe the sweat from his brow when he worked too hard. 
who felt the pain of sore feet from walking long distances in sandals. Who felt the pain of being brutally beaten and crucified. Remember Jesus Christ, who was not immune to his own humanity. Paul also says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ who conquered death itself, who, who possessed the power to not be overcome by and finished by death. Remember Jesus Christ truly 100% divine, not some Christian version of Hercules, part God, part man, not some man with really cool superpowers. Remember Jesus Christ who was and is God himself. As Paul sums up the gospel, as Paul points Timothy to the things to remind his people of, what he points Timothy to is the identity and centrality of Jesus Christ, 100% man and 100% God. Thomas Oden about this verse once wrote, Christ's human descent establishes his humanity. His resurrection proclaims his deity. Only together is the God-man rightly conceived. Only if Christ is human can he feel our infirmities. And only if Christ is God does his death have atoning value for all humanity. Timothy, remind them of these things. Remember Jesus Christ in all his humanity and in all his divine glory. You see, the bottom line is this. There is only one hill worth dying on. It is not politics. It is not gun control. It is not health care. It is not the gospel of patriotism, nor is it the gospel of social justice. It is only the pure, simple, true gospel centered on the identity of Jesus Christ himself. Anything that distracts from that true gospel is the foolish debate Paul warns about. Think back to your conversations. Look back through your social media feed. As painful as it might be, remind yourself of your thoughts and comments as you read someone else's social media feed. And ask yourself, 
Is this a hill worth dying on? Is this the hill of the one true gospel? Now, it's not as though the singularity of this hill precludes us from discussion or exploration of other important doctrinal matters. It's it's not as though the singularity of this hill prevents us from praying about and considering and exploring important social and cultural issues that affect us and the world that we live in. No, on the contrary, it gives them clarity. All of these things are viewed in the light of our knowledge of the identity of Jesus Christ. It is is this hill that gives us the view of everything below. It is this hill that is crowned with the way and the truth and the life. And it is this hill that is the only hill worth dying on. As we consider the simplicity and centrality of this truth, let us take a few moments and pray together. Take a moment and and rid yourself of any barrier that stands between you and your Savior, your living Savior at this moment. Ask your creator to fill you with the love and knowledge of the true, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. One hundred percent man, so he feels our pain. One hundred percent divine. So his death and resurrection atones for our brokenness. Lord Jesus, we stand in this place today, humbled and amazed by your presence. Grateful your presence is not limited to this space. We ask you, remind us every day of what Jesus has done for us. And it's from the 
outflow of that overwhelming love that we might serve the world around us. We pray all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen.